Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the BMcast. Not a podcast that relieves itself in the background while your housemate is live on coverage, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I'm Scott and I am joined by the Tron Queen herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? I am doing good. Bit tired, it's been a bit of a long week, but Mm. can't complain. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. I've been keeping busy, spending a lot of this week uh, playing Pauper Walls. As I've mentioned before, I'm not surprised getting I'm getting the reps in with it because this week's article, which actually by the time you folks are all listening to it should have been live a whole day now over on Hipsters of the Coast. But it's on Popper Walls and exactly how to play it and intricate lines and niche things and stuff. So I have been very much not turning them sideways this week. (laughs) How about yourself? (laughs) What have you been up to? Not a huge amount. Um, so I didn't finish that vintage draft cube last week because I completely forgot I didn't have the time. Um, so I just got points for a, a one-one, which I can't complain. So um, what, what you're saying is that you, as a blue-white player, you timed out. That's, yes, that's not unusual. I I gabnasieved it. <laughs> Otherwise, today, earlier today, I managed to do a double masters draft, phantom draft on Magic Online. Oh. I managed to freeo with mono white artifacts. Nice. Yeah, um, it's a pretty sweet deck, actually. It was quite... Um, I might have a bit of confirmation bias, but Mono White seems pretty good in Double Masters Draft, purely because no one's picking white, because everyone assumes white is just bad. Therefore, no one really picks it. Mm. Um, so the deck fe- uh, featured a lot of Sanctum Gargoyles, Ancestral Blades, and it even managed to pick up Stoneforge Mystic. Didn't get me a Battle Skull, but it did get me a lot of Ancestral Blades, so it just threw in, like, one ones that are equipped with this Ancestral Blade. Um, nice. Yeah, it was a sweet deck, and if you want a little bit of advice, take all the Mere Smiths that you get, because if you slam load of artifacts and pay one, you mm. make a Mere, one one Mere, and it's just really good just to swell the board. Like, I didn't manage to play Mirrodin when it came out, because it was before my time, but this yeah. kind of feels like what I expect Mirrodin to be, so it's been quite fun. I'm looking to do some more soon. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. Mm. So, what has been happening this week? Well, since the last episode the full preview has gone live for double masters and like you said it's now also live on mtgo and you were right by the way we ended the last episode saying that this week we'll be talking about black and we might be including thoughtsies and you said it would depend on whether it's being reprinted or not and lo and behold about two hours after we recorded that episode you were proven right so bizarre (laughs) yay reprints all for reprints Especially Thoughtseize now, it got it shot up when Pioneer came in, and it's just stayed there. So Yeah, it's the premier discard spell, which we'll go into later, because oh. we are talking about Black this week. But oh. yeah, I'm very happy to see it reprinted. Hopefully it's at a, an affordable price compared to what it's defaulted to previously. Fingers crossed, absolutely. Mm. And what else is there? Oh yes, now that Magic Online has Double Masters and the downshifts to pauper are live people are playing a lot of the mirror retriever combo and um, that is if anyone hasn't seen it Woo-hoo. yeah it's uh it's mirror retriever is what is a two mana for a one one uh artifact creature and when it dies you return an artifact from graveyard to your hand and ashnod's mm-hmm. altar is legal in pauper so that's an infinite combo in and of itself if you have two and, mirror retrievers and disciple of the vault to kill them yeah, Disciple of the Vault or uh, Reckless Fireweaver or Impact Tremors or there are so many different options. But uh, yeah, it seems like something I would like, but my opponents wouldn't like, I think. 
on, a, on the other hand, I'm really happy a braid's been downshifted. Yeah. I think that's a really sweet one to have in Pulpa. Absolutely, yeah. The two the two big ones for, for most people, I think, were a braid and cast down. They were the two yes. downshifts. Uh, I'm kind of surprised by cast down, to be perfectly honest. Weird, isn't it? Because there's no legendaries in Pulpa. Well, there are like three, but they literally have never seen They're not play. great. No. Yeah. No. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's really weird. Like, but with that said, I mean, like, it's an it it is a surprisingly high power format. So, a two mana destroy target creature doesn't feel particularly out of place. Like, it's only a little bit better than like Doomblade and stuff. So, hmm. yeah. how do you think one of Black Control is gonna fare now we've got cast down? Well, it's gonna be better. It's a pet deck of mine. I enjoy playing it, despite the fact that it is a good old run of the mill Jundamout style mid range deck, um, which is absolutely not my wheelhouse normally. But cast down to me feels like it's just going to be an immediate four of. But the problem is with mono black control is it wasn't lacking in removal options. It's more lacking in power or impact. Mm. So like, sure, you can get some little creatures out that get you incidental value like Phyrexian Rager or Chittering Rats and then like end with a Gary. But like, it's very slow for Popper. So... There's something that was reprinted and downshifted into Pauper in this set that I personally am extremely happy about, and that is Bone Picker. So if anybody doesn't know this, and to be honest, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold it against you if you didn't. It was, uh, it was an uncommon that was pretty good in, in Amonkhet draft. It was a uh, three and a black for a three-two bird. It has flying and death touch, and it costs three less if a creature died this turn. So essentially, all you have to do in Monobot Control is kill something and then play this for one mana. So it's kind of like the black version of Delver of Secrets. I, Quite powerful. I think giving a color its own version of Delver of Secrets is a very, very powerful thing to do. Mm. Uh, because like Delver's still good in, in Pauper. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what it does. I, I don't really see why you wouldn't just run blue so you can run counter spells and stuff, but... Yeah, we'll see how it goes. It, it, it's really interesting because, yes, you have essentially a Black Delver of Secrets and you can run stuff like Village Rights now to sack off something, mm-hmm. to draw two cards and then play this one mana free two with Death Touch and Fly. It feels really good. Yeah, for sure. There's there's another thing that I was thinking of as well that I think might be the way to go with it, which is why not put four Bone Picker in with Delver of Secrets in Blue Black Delver? Because that mm-hmm. way you have your I counter spells, you have your good deck. Like Blue Black Delver is one of the better decks at the moment anyway. So technically adding copies five through eight of Delver of Secrets that, well, technically a flipped Delver of Secrets. Uh, that seems pretty good. That seems, that seems pretty, pretty powerful. Yeah. It might be good enough. Might have to brew it. Oh, I already have a brew. <laughs> Ooh, okay. <laughs> uh, but speaking of, speaking of black, we are here today to actually talk about a different topic, which is our continuation, our third episode or third installment of the $100 Modern Color Challenge. So we've already done white, we've already done blue, and now this week we are doing black. So black's a weird one. Black is a weird one. Like, we could technically say that about nearly any colour in modern though, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, it was really weird looking through like the MTG Goldfish sort of modern metagame and just going, what, what is the role of black in modern at the moment? And to be honest, it feels a lot like white in the sense it feels like a support colour. Mm. It has these really unique tools that you use alongside other colours. So a great example is Golgari Rock. Mm. Um, probably more on the side of green than black these days, but otherwise it still uses like good removal, good discard spells yeah. to 
promote the game plan. And the only one that I found to be really mono or close to black as a complete color is Death Shadow. Yeah. And even then, that's free color. Yeah, for sure. Um, it yeah, it's a very weird one because I think, like you said, it is it is a support color, but it's, it's more of a it's more like a debuff color. Like it supports. Yeah. It it takes support away from the opponent, but it helps you. It's like dis like card disadvantage creature disadvantage, resource denial, that kind of thing. But yeah, it's really weird because I, ex- I thought Black had a more of a share of the modern meta game than it does at present. Yeah, well, I mean, with the amount of times that I've been turned with Totsies, you would you would definitely think that it's it's very, very prevalent. And to be fair, it is. But like you said, there, there are no real black strategies right now because it excels at removal in one way or another, like disruption essentially like either removing cards from your hand or creatures from the board or something but that doesn't win the game by itself so it often needs to pair like you said with rock you know that's where you get your tarmogoyfs and stuff so you can start beating face you know yeah but there are several very very good reasons to run black well i suppose we should start talking about the first one the first and foremost to us i think removal Mm. black is known for its removal it has some of the cheapest and most efficient removal options available in modern as a whole. It's just got so many different things and it's only getting better. Absolutely. Like, um, for example, even in Core 21, we, we see Eliminate, which is mm. probably the most efficient removal we'll ever see at that rarity. And, it's yep. pro- and it should see more play in modern, to be honest. It's just really clean, efficient, deals with planeswalkers. And often in modern, the planeswalkers are really cheaply costed anyway. Yeah. Um yeah, it's just it's just really clean and efficient. I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, same. Big time. Especially especially when it comes to three mana to fairy. Yes. Personal vendetta against that card, I'm sure. Also rem- it people. can remove opposing Lidianas of most types yeah. as well, the more expensive ones. Yeah. Um yeah, it's it's just really good. And even extending a little bit out of black, you have stuff like Abrupt Decay and Assassin's Trophy, which share the black yes. colour, which are also really potent removal spells in modern. So black has a lot of lot going for it, and yeah. even extending outside of eliminate, you have stuff like cast down, which is really clean and efficient, as we were talking about mm. earlier, yep. and dismember, which sees loads of play because you don't have to pay black to use it. You yes. Eldrazi Tron and Tron decks often use it as it's the best removal spell in in their color, yeah. which sounds weird because <laughs> they're paying life color, and yeah. not black. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of, a bit of an odd one. Um, and then you have really unique stuff like Edict. So you have like Liliana's mm. Triumph as well, which can get around a Slippery Bogle, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, just to touch back on Dismember, I think Dismember is low-key one of the most important black spells in the entire modern format. Um, I agree. Because so many decks could not exist without Dismember. I know a lot of people have a love-hate relationship with Phyrexian Mana. You know, some people either despise it and some people are like mutagenic growth and Gitaxian Probe are great, you know, but Dismember, like it's, it's insanely powerful. It's absolutely incredibly powerful, but I do think it's actually necessary for modern to be as diverse as it is. Like, for example, like I said earlier on, before we started recording, I'm starting to play Mono Blue Tron. Like, yes, you can't, join us. <laughs> you, can, you can't run that deck without at least one Dismember. If if something gets a fast start on you and you can't just kill it, like you're dead. You're you're absolutely dead. And it's the same with like Merfolk and stuff as well. Like they often run one or two dismember or basically anything that isn't like main either white for path, red for bolt, or black for fatal push or eliminate or something. You know, like if you're mm. a mono green or mono blue deck, you have to run dismember, pretty much. 
Absolutely. And weirdly enough, I think Dismember's the most fairest of the Phyrexian mana cards. I think mm. when I think of a Phyrexian mana card, I think of Dismember because it's reasonably costed and it does something really good. It's not like a Taxian Probe where it does more than what it, what the life that you pay for it. Yeah. Um, Gut Shot's another good example, I think, is also a, a decent example. Um, but yeah, yeah I've, I've dismembered many Noble Hierarchs in my time and I'm fine with it nine times out of ten. Yeah, yeah. My my favorite target to dismember, I think, is probably Mantis Rider. Uh, I love taking out a humans player. I love nothing more than taking <laughs> out humans. Is one of my most hated decks of all time. I don't know why it is. I don't really? know why. Yeah, I despise it. I cannot stand it. Interesting. It's super disruptive. Interesting. It's super aggressive. It's got lots of different lines and different plays and everything. I don't know why I hate it. I just do. <laughs> I just. Oh, every time, every time they start with like turn one unclaimed territory, name human, ether vial, go. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I think it's I think it's because most of the decks I enjoy just do terribly against it. Maybe that's it. It's it's Fair. it's my Tron. I think I think is yeah. I I had that for ages with blue white control. Mm. Um, I didn't enjoy playing against blue white control, and I think it was partly because I just didn't know how to approach the matchup, and I didn't really have the patience to to understand the matchup because control plays pretty slow for the most part yeah i've kind of got past it now but at one point i was just like celestial Corne tapped mm. <laughs> do not want um speaking of tribal though black has yes. some really great sweepers as well don't they yeah th- there's some interesting ones particularly at the budget level so obviously the the de facto black sweeper is damnation but damnation yeah. is expensive because it's only been printed what one time twice twice it was in modern masters oh, as yeah. well 17 so. and it's still really expensive yeah stu- stupidly <laughs> expensive I, I don't know why they don't just print more of them but uh i think the best imitation damnation is uh is a name that i actually really like that sounds great imitation damnation that sounds like a bad name <laughs> is uh is languish to give everything minus four minus four into land of turn like that kills most things yeah, it kills a lot of things it doesn't kill a titan but like that's about it not a lot kills a titan to be fair mm. Yeah, um, but then you have stuff like um, Bontu's Last Reckoning. While it's a okay board wipe, if you're willing to time walk yourself for a turn just to really clear the board, it's not a bad answer. It's free mana. It's pretty effective. Um, and then you have stuff yeah. like Witch's Vengeance, which really hits tribal decks such as humans and more importantly yeah. goblins at the moment. Yeah, I think I think Witch's Vengeance is actually low key. I think it's quite good. The, yeah, I think it's low key one of the best spells that you can be packing if you're if you're leaning heavily into black in your deck. Because, mm. like that, it hits goblins. People, a lot of people are playing goblins. It's not particularly high tier, necessarily. You know, it seems to be settling somewhere around the sort of tier 2, tier 3, maybe, mark. But the fact that it also hits basically everything in humans is beautiful. Have you ever cast a Witch's Vengeance against a humans player? It is just... I have not. Mm, oh. I did minus 3 in Ugin the Spirit Dragon against a humans player once. That felt pretty good. Playing an Ugin against the humans player is always really good. Yeah. Yeah. I like that matchup. <laughs> but uh, yeah, sweeper, Sweepers, it, like black doesn't have as many options as white does. But the options it has are pretty, pretty decent, pretty efficient. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And speaking of answers in black, uh, if you don't have the answer for something, the next best thing is to take it out of their hand before they can play it, right? Yeah. So Which card, Scott? What? Said so which card? Discard. Okay. <laughs> which card? Discard. Discard. Um, yeah, so, so another big plus to playing black is resource denial. So you have stuff like Inquisition of Kozilek, mm-hmm. Duress. 
uh, even to an extent collective brutality um, although it's modular it still has a discard effect yeah. and more recently uh, the recent reprint of Fort Seas as well which hopefully will knock it down a couple of quid so they can be yeah. be a bit cheaper and then a small nod to Cartel Free Boot just because Scott's loved humans so much oh, filthy humans so if you don't have removal or the right tools to deal with a particular threat, another good way to do it is to just t- tear it out of their hand with like a Fort Seas, for example. Yep. And also it gives you information on what the opponent's playing against, so you know how to use your tools correctly against the matchup. Turn mm-hmm. Fort Seas is a very regular thing in modern, and it's it's just really good for two life. You're getting so much information. It's just really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things with the hand attack and and discard cards is that they are extremely skill intensive. So if you look at an opener where you've gone, you know, turn one thought season, you're seeing their hand, you're not looking for the best card there. Like you're looking for the card that you can't deal with or you know, you might be looking to take them off a turn one or turn two play to allow you a little bit more time to set up whatever you're doing. It's depend. It's so mm. heavily dependent on what you're playing, what your opponent is playing, whether you're on the play or the draw, uh, what the rest of your hand looks like, what the rest of their hand looks like. It, there's just so many factors to take into account. Like, it's very easy to go, you know, Totsies or Duress and let's have a look and I'll, oh, I'll take that because that's a good card and that's fine. And a lot of the time that'll serve you perfectly well. But in order to win the majority of games with black, and particularly when you're using disruption, it, you need to know exactly what you can't deal with or what you need to get out of the way. And that's why I think so many more seasoned or competitive players enjoy things like Thoughtseize because it leverages your knowledge of the the matchup, the game, the format, the everything. Absolutely. From playing Eldrazi Tron over the years, I've had various lines where I've cast the Fortnite here and I'm like, yeah. oh, what do I take? Because this hand is stacked. What can't I deal with? It's also to add on to what you've just said. So yeah, you use Fort Seas to deal with a particular threat, but it also lines up if you have like a Fort Seas and an IOK in hand is mm. which discard spell do you use first and which discard spell use on which card is it's a lot of really intricate lines and while it's while it's difficult to get right to begin with you will become better over just playing and understanding the format yeah as with most things in magic Mm. you'll get better with reps absolutely um next one's an interesting one um which we don't see a huge amount in modern Mm. to be honest at the moment yeah and that is graveyard we put it under graveyard interaction because black has a tendency to interact with the graveyard on multiple different axes in multiple different ways. And it depends very heavily on the type of strategy that you're playing, what kind of way it will interact. So you have like reanimation stuff, which admittedly not super powerful in modern because we're not, we don't have access to stuff like Exhum or whichever. But we do have Unearth, which was in Modern Horizons. Uh, we have those old Goryeo's Vengeance decks they haven't been around mm. for a while but they they're a thing I think they died with Faithless Looting just another reason to bring that back but you know moving on <laughs> uh, and then you've got like weird ones as well like Footsteps of the Goryeo is like a three mana reanimate spell that makes you sacrifice the creature on end step so if you have things with like really powerful ETBs and all sorts of mad stuff so yeah you have those they're not like we said they're they're not particularly common you know unearthed a little bit but outside of that they don't really see yeah, a whole lot you see you see unearth creeping around in like golgari rockless mm. as a one-off death shadow as a one-off yeah sometimes you see it in the the rakdos lightning skelemental decks oh, yeah. as well because who doesn't want to dome someone for six and make them 
discard a bunch of cards, um, which has also mm-hmm. got black in the colour costs, just so you know, just yeah. to keep on theme. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird because you had stuff like Goryeo's Vengeance, which I remember once upon a time being really, really popular in modern. Mm. But now it's kind of default to Neoform, and that's nowhere near as exciting. Yeah, I think I'm inclined to agree. Um, the, like, the Neoform decks are cool and everything, and they're, they're kind of weird and, and wonky. And I like mm. weird wonky decks, but yeah, I think the Goryeo's Vengeance ones just, they felt oddly glass cannon-like, but also could still yeah. sort of grind out. It was weird. It was very weird. Yes, it's weird. Um, but the closest we have to re- like graveyard interaction slash reanimation in modern is dredge. So you have mm. stuff like uh, Golgari Fog to dredge away loads of stuff. You have Gravecaller, which was a big thing in the old Vengevine decks before yeah. um, Bridge from Below got banned. Yeah, and then good old Stinkweed Imp. Oh, the Stinky Imp. I've dredged many a Stinky, and they have let me down nearly every single time. Oh, really? That yeah. surprises me, because you must have some real bad luck. I When it, com- when it comes to <laughs> random stuff in, in, in Magic, uh, yeah, I have horrendous luck. I have absolutely horrendous okay. luck. Like that, I bought Dredge and then played it for two weeks and never won a game, despite doing all the right things. I even had someone that I know that I was playing Dredge for like two or three years and they were watching my games. I was like, watch mm. my games. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. And they looked and they were like, yeah, no, you're doing everything right. You're literally just hitting like four lands off your Golgari Thug and then like Blech. a Faithless Looting and and a bunch of other random crap off of your Syncweed Imp. Like I, your deck just hates you. Just yeah. sell it. <laughs> I was like, okay, sure. It's not for I, me. Yeah, uh, I had that with Storm at one point as well. It's just like, not for me. Yeah. Saying that though, Black is also very good for graveyard answers. So you oh, yes. have things like Leyline of the Void, Nihil Spellbomb mm. of old list many moons ago and then you have something more recent such as cling to dust which is a great way to hedge against euro strategies absolutely i think the ones you've named are the are the top three in my opinion i think leyline is the gold standard for for graveyard hate you know just being able to pop it down on turn zero and be like graveyards are out for this game let's see what you got yeah that's good um i love me a good night hill spell bomb i don't know what it is i think it's just the fact that it replaces itself and it feels yes. it feels good to do that. I know it's technically not a black card, but it is. You know, you you have to pay black in order to get the card, and like you're playing cards you, for the value. You wouldn't you wouldn't play it in a non-black strategy because you just play relic, right? So I think it's a it's a pseudo black card. It's weird. You would you would run it in a non-black deck that cared about its own graveyard, maybe. Yeah. But even then, there are probably better options. You know, you could just torment exactly. Scratch, you know, so. This is it, yeah. And you've even got stuff like Ravenous Trap, which has yeah. seen uh, Double Masters printing, which has been upshifted to a rare, randomly enough, on a, on a slight tangent. I don't get why. Um, but Ravenous Trap's also a decent answer if you can't afford stuff like Ley Lines. Yeah, yeah. The upshift was very bizarre, and I don't, I don't feel like going into a rant on that right now. But no. <laughs> it's, uh, it was very unusual. But Ravenous Trap is really, really good. I remember it being the card I was most afraid of when I played... Is it Phoenix back in the day? I was like, please yeah. don't trap me. Please don't trap me. <laughs> but yeah, like and like like you mentioned as well, Cling to Dust. I'm a huge fan of Cling to Dust. Card is so good. It's like it's even making waves in Pioneer as mm. a way just to as I said, leverage against Uro and just to take some cards away from the inverter mirror and just, you know, stop delving, dig through time at yeah. like a, a turn earlier or something, which can be quite huge in the mirror. Yeah. And the thing is both graveyard based decks and non-graveyard decks are happy to run this as long as it's running black because 
if you are a graveyard based deck you're going to constantly be able to power up the escape on cling to dust and if you're not a graveyard based deck you will occasionally get just from playing games and having spells and, and cards and creatures enter the graveyard you're just going to randomly get incidental times where you can just cast cling to dust and just get another card out of the graveyard on your opponent's side like it's it's super super handy and it's nice i've seen it even show up sometimes as just a one-off in lists yeah you just I can have see it. that you just have it sometimes and if it's no good you just target a card you you draw a card with it and then you just get on with your life and that's fine kind of yeah it kind of feels a similar role to relic right you know mm. even if it's not great in the matchup you still get a card out of it which is really good yep absolutely and the thing is in modern nearly every deck has some form of graveyard action in some way in some way shape or form like obviously you have uro decks you have dredge you have storm um i think i think straight up burn doesn't have anything but like even the red prowess decks have like lava dart and have potentially got bedlam revelers and stuff like you'd be surprised nearly every single deck has something that you can hit with the cling to dust and i think it's currently my favorite piece of graveyard interaction just for it's very good in in modern specifically just for that fact it will nearly never be dead which is really sweet agreed yeah uh, after graveyard interaction mm. we've got an interesting one which is black's almost known for which is like life resource management so what black is very good at doing is gaining an advantage but at, at the cost of life so an expensive sort of mm. example would be dark confidant where you get a card every yeah. turn and then you lose life on the on the card's uh, cmc yeah um so you have stuff like street wraith which is a really good one it's got cycling you pay two life to draw a card mm-hmm. night whisper is also very similar where you um lose two life to draw two cards yeah. and then more popular in modern is stuff like death shadow where you have to be on such a low life total for you to play it and actually win with it because yeah. it's such an aggressive deck in terms of like punishing your life total yeah it's a nice it's a nice payoff for for doing the thing that black is traditionally known for really but uh, I think, I think to be honest, to sum this part up, the best is just to quote uh, Dark Confidant's flavor text, which is greatness at any cost. Yep. Agreed. That's Black's modus operandi, and it still holds true to this day. But yeah, that's, that's it. Gaining advantage through life loss. Um, and then one other thing. Now, normally we don't really talk that much about lands i know when we when we started this hundred dollar modern budget challenge we were like well we talk about lands uh, if they're relevant maybe you know mm. um or we might just do a separate lands episode or something if that's something that people want we can do but uh i do think there are a couple not many but there are a couple in black that i think are worth talking about they're very unique aren't they yeah um the first one is well it kind of lines up with with graveyard interaction and that's bajuka bog it mm. enters the battlefield tapped taps for black but when it enters the battlefield you exile target players graveyard just to have that on a land like the downside is it enters tapped but if you're against a graveyard deck it's going to win you the game a lot of the time if it's in any other matchup like it more likely if it's not a graveyard matchup it's probably a slower matchup so entering the battlefield tapped isn't really that big of a deal at that point you know this is it um and in most cases a lot of non-black decks just play it as a terrible way to deal with the graveyard so mm. Before Scavenger Grounds was printed in Hour of Devastation, Bajuka Bog was the next best thing for uh, Eldrazi Tron and Tron strategies in general. Yeah. I remember seeing Knight of the Reliquary decks just tutor up a Bajuka Bog and they're just straight up green white just to deal with the Dredge Player's Graveyard. Yep. Um, it's, it's just a really good option. Big fan. Yep. I remember around the time of 
Hogak Summer. Uh, actually, I Ugh. I remember I remember I was doing text coverage in Barcelona at the GP mm-hmm. there at the time in Hogak Summer. Uh, the top three archetypes I think were Hogak. Surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of Is it Phoenix, and then there was a lot of Adrazitron. Yeah. So, generally speaking, if they're the th- top three decks, you know that something's wrong with your format. But that aside, <laughs> um, I noticed that there were a lot of, like you said. Eldrazi Tron decks, even though they had the Scavenger Grounds, they also just had Bajukabug so that they could just go and yeah. tutor it up as well. But Titan decks had it as well because there are so yes, many ways they to run just it often. grab lands like either through Titan or or whichever else. Um, but yeah, it's it's really, really powerful. Well, speaking of powerful, the next one that's on our list is a pretty new one and it's pretty mind-blowing, particularly in the longer matchups. And yeah. that's Castle Loctwain. I'm a big fan of this card. I'm surprised it's not seen more play in modern, but it has crept up in uh, Golgari rock lists as mm. like a one of or a two of, just a way to outgrind the game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the fact that you can draw cards off it and it's just something to do with your mana in the late game just seems pretty good. That's it, yeah. And to anyone that doesn't know what it is, um, it's a land that enters the battlefield untapped as long as you control another swamp. So that can include shock lands and stuff. It taps for black, but then you can also play pay one black black and tap it to draw a card and then lose life equal to the number of cards in your hand. So, you know, if you're just top decking, you know, you just play it a land and then you activate Castle Loctwain, that's draw a card, lose a life uh, for essentially four mana because you're tapping the Loctwain as well, which is pretty good mm-hmm. on a land, you know, so... That's a, that's a nice one, like we said, particularly in the slower, grindier games, because, you know, you're going to be trading resources one by one, and, and eventually you'll be both in top deck mode, and then a couple activations of this can turn the tide. In other matchups, it's kind of just a slightly worse swamp, but in the matchups where it's good, it's insane. I think it just gives you the option to do something. Mm. If you don't have enough mana to cast your spells, you go, like, oh, I can draw a card, I can do something else. Um, yeah. It's just I like it as a, like a one of or as a two of, just so it can come in untapped, and you can just be like, "Yeah, I'm just going to draw a card." Yeah, for it sure. seems pretty powerful. Yeah, and then the other one as well. It's it's a bit of a niche one, but Dakmore Salvage uh, enters the battlefield yeah. tapped, taps for black, and then has Dredge two. Yeah, this is really good in Dredge decks. You wouldn't usually play it in anything else. I recall you might play it in like Death Cloud, maybe. that's that's stretching it a bit far maybe but i remember seeing a deck run it once i was just like what this is not dredge (laughs) it's it's definitely a weird one i have seen it in uh like lone pox decks back in the day yeah but that's uh, probably what i'm thinking of yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty unusual to be fair pretty unusual but yeah there are a couple of other ones there are obviously you know, the the more expensive ones like Urborg, which make all your lands into swamps, which means that you can run a bunch of other non-black lands in order to be able to do all sorts of stuff. But that's really expensive mm. at the moment. It's like $25. So Yeah, thanks, Pioneer. Yeah, Pioneer did that all right. So let's, but damn let, it. let's not add that one to the list. That's a little, that's a little pricey. No. Maybe it'll get reprinted in the next Master Set. Cross his fingers. You know what? You, you said this about Thoughtseize and then it happened, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hope that Urborg gets printed into Zendikar, even though I know that's physically impossible. But like, look, hey, there could be like you never know. There could be another Urborg that's just not called Urborg. <laughs> Urborg on Zendikar. <laughs> it's, a, it's a land that has a spark. Listen, listen. <laughs> the fact that you've now just suggested the concept of a planeswalker land, uh, it's probably gonna happen now, isn't it? 
<laughs> yeah. Hopefully, hopefully no one from Watsy is listening to this. All right. So mm. a- anyone, anyone from Wizards of the Coast, if you're listening, please do not print a Planeswalker land. I beg you, please do not do this. <laughs> and, if, and if you do, I am sorry. Just straight up front, I apologize. If you do, reprint, reprint <laughs> Ghost Quarter in Standard. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> oh. Um, okay, so that will bring us right up nice and tidy to our top five black cards mm. so uh, we've to be honest we've kind of mentioned a couple of these already mostly because they are the poster children of the different cornerstones of the color that we've just spent the entire episode talking about so mm. i guess we'll start with number five do you want to take this one so at number five is laying on the void which may not be a surprise um it's just a clean efficient answer to deal with a graveyard and it can cost zero mana if it's in your opening hand because that's what late lines do. Mm-hmm. It's just been a staple of modern sideboards forever now. And the fact that it was reprinted in the last year or two just makes it really affordable to pick up. Yeah. And I would, if I was to pick up this challenge and just pick up a load of black cards, I would start with Fort Leyline of the Void because they will be played in non-black decks as well. Yeah, absolutely. And they're yeah, they're a nice they're a nice price at the moment, like you said, because they're being they've been reprinted recently. They're they're a weird one, okay? Because I'm going to be honest with you. I personally don't like playing with ley lines unless I'm playing a black deck. Like I know that there are many many decks that play ley line the void just so that I can get it out on turn one or turn zero and just slam it and be like, there you go, deal with it, whatever. And some people will Mm. play that in non black decks and aggressively mulligan to it and so on. I personally don't like that. I am totally fine with putting it into a black splash or black base deck that's all fine Mm. because then worst case scenario knowing my luck my terrible luck in magic uh i (laughs) will you know see a perfectly reasonable opener keep it and the first card i'll draw will be ley line of the void and that is the biggest feels bad you can have in modern arguably it just feels so so terrible you know at least if you draw it in a black deck after turn zero you can still cast it it's just later in the game but you can still do something about it. It's not a flat-out dead card. That's fair. I can see that. I've played it in Eldrazi Tron list, and fortunately, I've been not as I've been pretty lucky to not have it in my like future draw steps. So mm. I must be doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> but the next one is a really interesting one, which we haven't talked about yet. And yeah. to be honest, this is probably one of my favourite cards to come out of Modern Horizons. Uh, do you want to take this one? Uh, yeah. So it might be one of your favourites. It's I actually secretly hate it, I think, uh, despite the fact, despite my hate of humans. And that is Plague Engineer. So Plague Engineer is two and a black for a 2-2 carrier with death touch. And when it enters the battlefield, you choose... A creature type. Sorry, it's as it enters the battlefield. Choose a creature type. Creatures of the chosen type your opponents control get minus one, minus one. So this is really, really powerful for dealing with tribal decks. And there have been a lot of them recently, in particular humans and then also goblins because of the little combo with conspicuous snoop um, then you'll also down at your fnm or or online or whatever you'll come across the occasional elves player and they'll just insta scoop to a plague engineer or you know you maybe merfolk or whichever like not not that you'll really need a lot of help against merfolk players but you know <laughs> i'm sorry merfolk players we don't mean to dunk on you this is this is entirely in jest oh merfolks love a good dunk <laughs> they live in the sea after all right god oh <laughs> Why do I enable these things? Okay. Uh, um, 
yeah, it's it's really powerful. Like the thing is, the thing is, even even against non-tribal decks, so say like the the devoted druid style decks, like those, those creature combo mm. decks, they're not tribal decks, but you can easily play it and name say like elf or human or whichever is their key piece that has one toughness, and then they just can't combo off. They can't win, you know. And that is in it itself fantastic. That's really really good to have. It's also really good against tokens. So. Oh, yeah. Mono White Tokens has made a minor resurgence online. Mm. Um, and it's just really good to name like Warrior or Human and it's just like wipes the board. Yeah. And also, even if it doesn't kill, say, any X ones, you can just use it to leverage your trades favorably. Yeah. And also, the fact that uh, Plague Engineer has Death Touch means it can trade up pretty well. Mm. And there has been times where I've blocked with a uh, Plague Engineer and they've just completely forgotten it has Death Touch because they're so focused on the minus one, minus one aspect of the card. Yeah, for sure. I've I've killed a few Titans with a Plague Engineer and it has felt pretty good. Yeah. So that was number four on our list. Number three is a card that's actually down in price quite a bit now. And I think it's... I think it's at like the best value it's been since people realized that it's actually good in modern. And that is Collective Brutality. Yeah, I'm a big fan of this one. So if you don't know what Collective Brutality does, it is a one generic and a black for a sorcery. It has Escalate. So it has an additional cost if you want to activate the additional modes on the card. So the Escalate on this is discard a card, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and those modes are... Target opponent reveals his or her hand. You may choose an instant sorcery card from it and remove it from their hand. Uh, the next one is target creature gets minus two, minus two to the end of turn. And the last mode is target opponent loses two life and you gain two life. Mm. So you can easily pay two mana, discard two cards and just use all the modes if you want to. Yep. Um, this is fantastic against burn decks because it always ends up in a two for one every single time. At least. It's just a really yeah. versatile card. And I'm really glad it's affordable because I remember... Back in Eldritch Moon Standard, it was close to like a £20 rare, which was crazy at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's very, very good. And a lot of the time, you can make good use of the discard on that as well. Like, even in even mm. in fairer decks, like, if you're playing, like, a rock-style build, obviously, it wouldn't be a budget version because you'd be running Tarmogoyfs. But you can discard specific cards in order to grow Tarmogoyfs, which is quite nice. Or you can discard something that has flashback and then use the flashback to... Like Lingering Souls is a good example. Mm. Now, I'm a big fan of this card and I would definitely recommend you picking up four because they'll probably go off again at some point once people catch on. Yeah, absolutely. And then in a somewhat similar vein to number three, we have at number two is Inquisition of Kozilek. Inquisition of Kozilek is one black mana for a sorcery. Target opponent reveals their hand. You may take a non-land card with CMC three or less and discard that card. So... This is one of the best options for hand attack and discard in the format. Like, the only thing that I think is almost always definitely better is Thoughtseize. And if that starts coming down in price, I would be inclined to replace it on the list. But at the moment, it's just Mm. too pricey. Inquisition is, what, like three, four dollars tops? Yeah, it's it's about three, four bucks. And also, modern's a really cheap 
cre- like cheap spell format. Mm. It's very much a free CMC or less format. So Inquisition occurs like is going to hit ninety nine percent of the time. The only time it doesn't is if your opponent either has like something like a prime time or Khan liberated mm. or just a load of lands. But in mo- most cases, it's going to hit, and it's just a re- it's a really good turn one play just to identify what your opponent is playing, and then you can t- force seize their best card away, for example. Yeah, absolutely, and. The the only the only things that I think that are very important to watch out for with Inquisition is at the moment Cryptic Command is seeing a lot of play. That is one of the yes. pieces that are pretty important to rip out of their hand, if at all possible. But Inquisition, with that said, is still very very good. Now, if if Inquisition even isn't good enough, you could just also run Duress. Like Duress is perfectly fine. Duress is a fine option, and if you are really budget conscious and you don't mind spending the extra mana, Agonizing Remorse is also really good, which is essentially a two mana Fortsies. Mm-hmm. You know what? I actually think that that should probably see a bit more modern play. Just to, not even at a budget level, but just in general, because sure, a two mana Fortsies effect not great. However, the fact that it exiles, and if they don't have anything in their hand, you can just pick something from a graveyard and exile it instead. Yeah, at the cost it's of so one good. life instead of say two from a Thoughtseize. That's very very good. You know, like I said, nearly everything that is played in modern has some form of graveyard synergy or or something. And agonizing remorse is way better against something like that than. Thoughtseize is. Now again, difference between one mana and two mana is enormous. Enormous. But, you know, I could definitely in a in a discard heavy deck, like say like a budget rock build or something, I could see like two agonizing remorse and you'd get away fine with it. Yeah, this is it. When I wrote about budget rock last month, I wanna say, <laughs> I I had like four in- inquisitions and two agonizing remorse just because it's good to have an option that can take someone's best card away and mm. even even if you do have four seasons i think it's easily like copies five to seven for example because it it, it still does something even if they're helping yeah absolutely i think uh, yeah so so for these reasons i don't think we can just have inquisition at number two it's kind of a split no, I agree. it's kind of a split and anywhere from duress to inquisition to agonizing remorse to thought sees all of these are exceptional at what they do they all do something a little bit differently you know, like I would yeah. sooner have a duress rather than a Thoughtseize against Burn, you know, but a Thoughtseize would be better against, say, Tron or Titan or something because you can then take yeah. like a Worm Coil or whatever it is. So yeah, discard spells in general, targeted discard options in modern, I guess, is our number two, right? Yeah, it's, it's there's so many, but Inquisition, of course, the Lick and Thoughtseize are the two. And then number one is kind of split as well. I mean, do you want to take this one? Yeah, it's an interesting one because we are a budget podcast, so we have to think about things from a budget perspective. Um, so number one, we have the easy one. The easy half of the one is Eliminate, which we've gushed about pretty much since we started the podcast because we think it's the best so um, cheap, efficient removal. It's a really good placeholder on Abrupt Decay as well if you're looking to build uh, like Golgari Rock or some sort of like mon- uh, like Golgari Aggro. It's a really good option to have as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we have mentioned Fatal Push in this in this number one as well, but Fatal Push is very situational. So mm. the reason Fatal Push becomes really good is because of its Revolt uh, trigger, yeah. which, uh, if you don't know what Fatal Push does, it is a one black instant, destroy target creature that costs two mana or less, and then it has Revolt. If you've lost a permanent under your control this turn, that becomes four mana or less, so you can remove a bigger threat. Yeah, that's it. thing is... 
fat jans aren't really cheap mm. and the best way fertile push works is with fat jans because you sacrifice the fetch land which triggers revolt which removes your opponent's threat for example um so it's very situational um i wouldn't play fatal push in a lexus deck just because it's not that great i'd rather run something like eliminate myself mm. so our number one is fatal push and eliminate but veering more towards eliminate for budgeting reasons yeah absolutely and to be honest I mentioned this earlier, Eliminate hits Teferi Time Raveler. That's very important for yep. me. Uh, the fact that it hits Planeswalkers, it kills Ren and Six, it kills Narsa, yeah. it kills Teferi. And th- these are these are huge targets. Liliana of the Veil. These are all massively mm. important things to get off the board. And previously, Black Heavy decks didn't really have, despite being very, very good at removal, didn't have really good monocolored ways of actually interacting with Planeswalkers. You know, like mm. if, uh, like say, like those the the eight rack decks and stuff from ages ago. Um, if you were to play those decks and they landed like their own planeswalker, you're like, oh well, guess I lose. You know, like yeah, you just can't interact. You know, so whereas with eliminate, you get to take out some of the important ones, like we said, narsets and fairies and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So that is our number one, and yeah, you should pick up like four eliminates because they're oh, yeah. under a buck. And you're going to get so much use out of it. And it's going to kill all the Teferis and all the Narsets. Mm. And it's going to be great. It's going to feel good. (laughs) (laughs) So to round things off, we have got a deck that is mono black that we can talk about. We've done this before with the blue and white color challenges, where at the end we have a monocolored deck or mostly monocolored deck that we can talk about that is not necessarily like top tier, but it is pretty decent and it's pretty fun. You know, like with white, we had the mono white tokens. With blue, we had Twiddlestorm. And with black, Emma, what have we got? We have 8-Rack this time. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not familiar with 8-Rack, it is a... I think it's quite a well-loved strategy in modern, despite being like tier 2, tier 3. Um, it's, I think it's, it's a very it's, Marmite strategy. It's either people love it or people despise it. Oh, I think I've, I don't think I've ever come across someone that disliked 8-Rack. But maybe they were 8-Rack players. Um, so the objective of the of eight rack is to attack your opponent's hand. So you rip all the cards out of their hand, leaving them with almost nothing, and then it switches on a powerful artifact. Also, the name of the deck is called the rack. So it's a one mana artifact. When it enters, you choose an opponent. So you choose your opponent. Um, at the beginning of the choosing player's upkeep, the rack deals X damage to that player, where X is minus three to the number of cards in their hand. So you just kill them by just not letting them play magic. Yeah, so if they have, say, two cards in hand on their upkeep, they'll take one point of damage. If there's one card in hand, they'll take two. And if they've none, they get bolted, essentially. Often, 8-Rack is quite expensive in modern because you have Liliana of the Veil, which is one of the hallmark planeswalkers of the format. Mm. And they're quite expensive. So I have created a a cool $50  8-Rack list. I wrote about it on TCG Player a couple of months ago. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes so you can check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, uses a lot of the same cards. It's, instead, it uses Davriel Rogue Shadow Mage instead of Liliana the Veil because as a placeholder, because um, Davriel is yeah. essentially a rack himself. He punishes yeah. he punishes people for not having cards in hand as well. Mm-hmm. Also, it runs a really cool removal spell that we didn't talk about. That's played a lot in Pauper, which is Defile. Mm. I do love a good Defile. Defile is great. If you don't know what Defile is, it is a one mana instant in black. And its target creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn for each swamp that you control. And if you're mono black, you're just going to have a buck ton of swamps. Mm. So this is going to have a lot of reach. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. It, it It's weirdly one of those cards that it kind of has the same fatal push effect because a lot of times, even in monocolored decks, like in, in this, for example, like you've got Castle Lock Twains and a Field of Rune and stuff, you won't mm. necessarily always have swamps. So stuff like Urborg can sometimes be necessary for this to be fully powered. It's still pretty good. It does the job. And mm. in like like you said, like in Pauper, this is probably one of my favorite removal spells. It's Black Scred, basically. Yeah, it's a good way yeah. to look at it. And Scred is one of my favorite removal spells. Um, but we'll get to that next mm. week, I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've got some things about Scred. <laughs> but uh, yeah, th- like this, this strategy is really, really good. I, I really enjoy it. Like I said earlier, I have a bit of an affinity for these kinds of decks because, well, there's some of the first ones that I ever played played in the mm. modern format in general and i gotta admit i love smallpox and people oh Ugh. there's something about smallpox and people that just feels so good especially especially and i know i shouldn't say this because you know i've started playing mono blue tron which admittedly is not green tron but smallpoxing a tron player feels great it feels real good <laughs> i disprove of this comment <laughs> In this in this build that you have, I've noticed the one Bantu's Last Reckoning, and I think this is one of the only, as much as I love Bantu's Last Reckoning, like you said, you kind of time walk yourself with it, but I think this is one of the only decks that I enjoy having it in, because mm. you run a very, very tight ship, where every single speck of mana has to count, and strangely, Bantu's Last Reckoning actually fits in it. Which is really weird because yeah. in this deck, it doesn't feel like you're time walking yourself because, you know, you're ripping all the stuff out of your opponent's hand. You are making them run out of resources and then this just cleans up whatever's left on the board and then they're stuck in the rack yeah. and that's it. You don't need more mana at that point. You've already got them in at that stage. So Bantu's feels really, really good in this deck. Yeah, um, I think the other strategy that can get away with it is Ad Nauseam in Modern purely yes. because it has stuff like Pact of Negation as backup as well. Um, and it, mm. the, usually the time it clears the board and Pact of Negations, it, it, can, it can go off. Um, but yeah, it's like a fringe sweeper, but it's also quite good if you want to be mana conscious. Yeah, absolutely. And weirdly, this is, a, this is an interesting one. Another introduction to the deck from Modern Horizons was Nether Spirit, which had shown up yes. in... Oh, was it... Mm, Manalus Dredge in Legacy, I think, is where I first played this card. Mm. So it's one black black for a 2-2 spirit. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if Nether Spirit is the only creature card in your graveyard, you may return Nether Spirit to the battlefield. Uh, oh, I remember it now. I used to play Pox in Legacy. That's where I, that's where I know it from. Ah, uh, yeah. got so, Not surprised. A very similar strategy to this actually <laughs> you could take this add a couple of cards to it and it's basically a legacy pox deck as well like it's oh no way that's cool yeah i really really enjoy this uh it functions brilliantly as a blocker it blocks for forever basically um, mm. it has to get hit by a path to exile otherwise it's going to keep coming back and yeah. sometimes it's just enough of a clock to close out the game as well because you can run some really really tight games with this mm. Sometimes it's just a case of your opponent ripping a bolt off the top and you're like, oh, was so close. Yeah, because before, wasn't it, like, Blood Gas was the sort of alternative, which is not quite as good because yeah. you, you kind of need lands to, to, to for it to come back if it was to be removed from play. But Never Spirit's just a really stubborn answer, mm. as the deck in general is quite stubborn. So. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, and then when it comes to when it comes to you've got great sideboard options here as well. Like you've done Nihil spell bombs we were talking about earlier. Ratchet bomb is mm. a big favorite of mine. Um, it just mm. immediately t- takes care of tokens, or you can start ticking it up to to deal with bigger problems, like like we said earlier, planeswalkers and stuff. Um, and then you have like pithing needle sort of effects, and force of despair is really cool. I really like that. I, I think this is a really underrated force. Not to mention it as cracking art from Seb McKinnon. Yeah. Um, I really like it as a one-off, considering you are a mono black deck, so you're always going to have stuff to pitch to it. Yeah. For sure. And this is actually really, really good against goblins with that trigger from the conspicuous snoop on the stack, stack to copy the the, go- the tutor goblin. You just force of despair and kill everything that's on the board. Feels yeah. good. Feels real good. <laughs> Don't expect it either because no one plays this card, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a nice card. All right. I really enjoy it. Yeah. And eight, the eight, the eight rack has an insane store matchup, like 100 percent to zero. I have actually won against 8-Rack, like, one, no one time. It is doable, but not enjoyable. <laughs> Put it that way. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it has very, very good matchups against, like, combo decks and stuff, where, where they need to have specific things in hand in order to, to go off. So, like like you said, Storm, uh, Ad Nauseam dies to, like, a single Thoughtseize a lot of the time. So, like, yeah. 40 Thoughtseize is pretty good. Um <laughs> The control matchups were good for a time, but then when every single card in the 75 turned around to replace itself, like, for example, Teferi or Icefang Quaddle or Stoneforge Mystic or whichever, it's it's now become pretty rough. It, they, it used to be much better back in, like, traditional black, blue-white control, mm. but now it's actually very, very rough. Same with Burn. Um, actually, Burn is a very weird and interesting one because some more upgraded versions of the 8-Rack decks actually run Death Shadow in the sideboard to beat Burn. Yes, I've seen that. It's quite... I like that one a lot. Yeah, it's, it's crazy and interesting sideboard tech. I've also seen some Gifted Aetherborns. We Ooh, didn't really talk much about I'm a about big fan of that card. Because, like, like we said, there's only the one Nether Spirit in the deck, so a lot of the time people will side out the creature removal. So you just bring in a few gifted Aetherborns, the two, three Death Touch lifelinkers, and you all of a sudden have a big problem that your opponent might not be able to deal with. Yeah. Nice big fan of gifted Aetherborn. Yeah, it's, got, it's, it's definitely one of those decks that has very heavily skewed matchups. You know, yeah. like the, the decks that it's good against, it absolutely whomps them, dances on them. But then yeah. there are some matchups where you're like, oh, You've red sleeves and a lightning bolt playmat. Um, where's the where's the slip? I'll just sign it now. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know? So if you like having very lopsided matchups like that, then then that's this is probably the deck for you. Unless your metagame is like ninety percent burn, then maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> also, I think it's for fifty bucks. It's quite good option to have. Oh, yeah. Just a just to play some modern and B just to kind of understand what other people are playing. I think. Mm-hmm. From playing discard strategies such as these, I know a lot of the discard in eight rack is very random, so you don't get to choose the card. However, mm. when you have stuff like Fort Season Inqu- Inquisition, it can really teach you what to take in particular matchups, and you kind of grows your knowledge of the format. I and agree. if there's anything I've learned in modern, that you become really good at modern by knowing all the other decks and what are the current top decks and what answers are they going to play against you and stuff like yeah. that. And playing play a strategy such as this really just opens it up to you because you can look at your opponent's graveyard, you can scribble notes on mm. what you've seen when they've revealed it off of Fort Seas, for example. Yeah. Absolutely. I think uh, I think one thing that you said there that probably 
at some point is going to get its own episode. But I think uh, I think the, one of the things you said there is one of the most powerful things that you can have, one of the best things for you to have when it comes to the modern format is format knowledge. It's not having the yeah. best or most expensive or most upgraded deck. You could take something like this, and if you know what you're doing, you can run over people. Like, and it's not just this mm. deck. You know, it could be it could be the the Twiddlestorm deck from last week. You know, I've I've got thousands of reps with that deck, and I would be happy to take on nearly any matchup with it because I've practiced with it so much. Mm. If if I was to if I was to pick up a new deck tomorrow and be told here go go play in this tournament or something, generally speaking, unless it's a really really complex combo deck, I would be pretty comfortable because. I've played so much modern, I know what modern is like. Now, I obviously won't have, you know, I know what this deck's good matchups are and bad matchups are and what to sideboard and stuff. Yeah. That's huge. But just general format knowledge is is absolutely invaluable. And a deck like this is really, really good at, in a way, kind of a trial by fire. Like, you, you just get thrust right into it with a deck like this. You know, you don't have creatures that can sort of just block and figure out a win at some point or whatever. You have to make sure that you're taking the right thing at the right time. Or you might just die. Yeah. And it's being thrown in at a deep end like that is kind of thing that I personally enjoy. And I would probably freak a bunch of people out. I mean, it's, it's the quickest way to get into it. <laughs> It's the best way to learn, I think, is just to go straight into the deep end because it kind of teaches you how to deal under pressure. And if you know how to deal with stuff well under pressure, you're going to do quite well. I mean, we've seen it over the years where, like, for example, Daniel Wong, who has the quad sleeve foil (laughs) taken turns deck that top eight every other GP that he's attended. You know, it it kind of proves that if you just play something off beat and rogue and you just genuinely enjoy playing it and want to put in the reps in you will see success and eight rack is definitely one of those absolutely that is it 100 percent. so you know if it turns out that your favorite deck is in fact eight rack and you know people turn around and be like oh it's not it's not very good metagame or whatever you know it kind of really doesn't matter you know like if you're trying to if you're trying to tune the metagame to like win gps then yeah maybe not eight rack you know start looking at like top top of the top of the budget scale and stuff but if you're mm. looking to just play a format enjoy it and win more games than you lose on the most part when you go to fnm or something you can play anything just get the reps in enjoy it enjoying it is probably the most important one actually to be honest it's a, it's a game you're more willing to learn and more willing to take the defeat if you are enjoying it for sure which is a really important aspect of magic is understanding defeat and just knowing how to take it in a sporting way yep for sure that's it and it's i never i I never thought i never thought i would um i would hear someone talk about learning sportsmanship through playing eight rack butcher look here we are (laughs) (laughs) um so i guess i guess that is it for black that means we're going to be on to one of my favorite colors next week red red Mm. there's a lot of red cards a lot of cheap red cards to be fair yeah honestly and yeah. a lot of really good mono red decks so i think next week is going to be pretty jam-packed yeah we're gonna have a nice one next week you could say it's going to be inscrutable <laughs> oh, i thought i'd stop enabling you <laughs> doesn't take much <laughs> oh no Thank you for listening to the BM Cast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com. You can follow us at the BM Cast on Twitter, search for Budget Magic Cast on SoundCloud, and support us over at patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.